The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. Well, this Sunday represents a changing of the guards for Rancho Baptist Church as we've elected Jason Swanson to be our new senior pastor. Today, our interim pastor, Rick Foster, presents his last sermon entitled, Launch Well, Changes and Choices, as he challenges Rancho Baptist Church to move forward in the Holy Spirit with Jason as our new leader. Let's join Rick now in his last and final sermon. By the way, you like the platform? Um, I really appreciate all those that came this past week and were part of making all of this. Pretty interesting and dramatic change, isn't it? Now, when you walked in this morning and, and you saw all this change, I doubt if any of you freaked out. Uh, thinking to yourself when you saw all this change, oh my goodness, does this mean the leadership team is abandoning our doctrinal distinctives? No, I, I doubt you didn't. I, I don't think you thought that. Nor did I think you saw the stage design and thought, oh, wonderful, is this going to be permanent as if we're adding entertainment value to our worship on Sunday to get people to come to RBC? No, I doubt if that's what you were thinking, and I doubt whether or not you were thinking, well, gosh, you know what? Nobody asked me if I could worship by staring at a yellow plane. I mean, I can't even see the words, can you, over here on the screen? No, more than likely, when you walked in and you saw all of this, your immediate thought was, Oh, yeah, I forgot. This change represents our yearly scheduled VBS program. And this change that I'm seeing represents our our children's ministry team's desire to reach out to other kids. And yeah, even though I wasn't consulted on the VBS theme for this year, you know, I really do trust those that made those choices that I, I now see. And this change, yeah, I, I, I look at it and I go, oh, yeah, here's an opportunity for me to serve. Here's an opportunity for me to invest in the lives of children. Okay, so here's a question for us to ponder. Why do some forms of change intimidate us and others we just kind of take in stride? Why do we respond to some form of change with an outright rejection and other forms of change we embrace and think, woohoo, it's great? Isn't our responses to change really a matter of trust? We trust that the change we're seeing is not random, it's not out of control, but it's intentional. There's purpose behind it. We trust the who who it is that's responsible for the change, who it is that's initiating the change. We know them, we trust them. Or also trust comes into play in that we realize the change that we're facing, there's a positive outcome in mind. It's not going to be detrimental, but rather positive. See, we may not realize it, but every time we face change, we make choices. Unless you have been on vacation and disconnected from the Internet for the last six to eight weeks, you know that change is in the air here at RBC. As Jason begins his ministry as the permanent senior pastor starting next Sunday. And when a church faces a transition like this, a good analogy is that there is going to be a rocket launch. Now when there is a literal rocket launch, Launch. Mix my words there. 
um, there is a team of people that is tasked with making the choices necessary to get that payload off the ground and up into orbit. Well, we as a church are about ready to launch. And the danger that we face this morning is that as individuals, we think that the team tasked with this launch and making it successful is somebody else. That we are just simply spectators. We get to sit back and watch the whole thing go up. But the reality is every single one of us is part of the launch team. And our personal decisions will determine whether or not we as a church launch well with Jason. Now you might be thinking, really, my decisions, let alone me? I mean, I don't have a role, I don't have a responsibility, I just am here. Really, what decisions? What, what choices? Well, take your Bibles and open them if you haven't already turned to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14 this morning. Because in these two verses, Paul reveals the necessary choices to face our personal changes and then be able to live out this new life in Christ that we have been given. And once we understand, though, the choices that he makes, then we'll be able to connect that with the transition and change that we're facing as a church. Now, before we look at these two verses, though, we need to remember the broader context that they sit in. I mean, this is going to be familiar landscape to most of us because we just worked our way through the book of Philippians last fall. So the context that we need to understand really begins back in verse 2 of chapter 3, where Paul says this to us. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So three times Paul tells us, look out. In other words, he wants us to beware. There are deceivers out there. What kind of deceivers? People who will agree with you that, yeah, you need Jesus, but then they will quickly go on to say that there are some necessary add-ons. In other words, to be really spiritual, you need Jesus plus something else. Well, what are those add-ons? Well, Paul in verse 5 and verse 6 then tells us what those add-ons can look like because they were part of what he had to fight. What are they? Well, first... There are going to be those who will say, you're not really spiritual unless you're observing certain rituals. In his situation, verse 5, it was the whole issue of circumcision. In other words, it's Jesus plus doing certain things. Or second, in verse 5, you're not really spiritual unless you've got the right heritage, the right family heritage. In other words, it's Jesus plus who you know and who knows you. You've got to have the right connections. You've got to be networked in. In his situation, it was a part of being in the right tribe, the right culture, and the right country. Third, he points out that being spiritual is not about having the right theological position. In other words, in his situation, he was a Pharisee. In other words, it's Jesus plus being right doctrinally. That's what makes you spiritual. Or fourth, he points out, being spiritual is not about a track record of discipline. Notice in his situation, he was zealous, a persecutor of the church. 
In other words, it's people who say, yeah, you need Jesus plus self-effort. Or last one, verse five or verse 6 also, being spiritual is not about keeping the rules. Notice he says, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. In other words, that whole defeats the whole idea. It's Jesus plus you know you've got to be obedient. Rather, look where Paul takes us. He says instead, in verse 8, being spiritual is all about a growing intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. What does he say to us there in verse 8? I count everything, all these five things that we just looked at, as lost. In other words, they mean nothing to me because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And that word knowing is not intellectual knowledge, it's experiential knowledge. We don't need any add-ons. If we've got Jesus, then by faith, and I'm seeking to walk with Him, then I've got everything I need already. If I have Jesus, then everything is well and good between me and God. Because, notice, I have been given the righteousness of God that which comes through faith in Christ. So there's nothing more to earn. Isn't that wonderful news this morning? There's nothing more I can earn. That's why I keep reminding you all from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then Paul in Philippians wonderfully reminds us that this new me is growing and developing and maturing like from a child up to an adult, like a little uh, seedling to a fruit-bearing tree from a building with a foundation now growing up in, in, in construction. So he's trying to remind us that by the work of God that's going on in us, we are to constantly expect change as we become more of who we were created to be in Christ Jesus. So that's the context. Now, with that context, let's look at these verses. I'm going to start in verse 12, and then we'll roll into verse 13 and verse 14. How does Paul, from that context, then lead us? He says, not that I've already obtained it. In other words, I haven't arrived in all of these things, no. And I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't it fascinating? Paul is this wonderful model for us. Looking at his life helps each of us understand my defining choices when I face change. And Paul makes it real simple for us what these defining choices are. Again, verse 12, he points out that he hasn't already arrived. He's still on a journey of becoming more like Jesus, so change is constantly going to be happening. He accepts in his personal life that that's the reality. It's a journey. He's constantly changing. But notice, he's not a passive observer. He's cooperating with the Lord. How? By making three critical choices every day. Look at them. First, 
He shows us how to be intentional about my choices with the past. Verse 13. And notice, Paul speaks of his past as that which lies behind. Now think of Paul's track record for a moment. Some of it was really good, wasn't it? Some of it was almost enviable. Back in verse 5 and verse 6 of this chapter, he talked about some of these great things that he had going for him. A wonderful family background, wonderful spiritual heritage, earned degrees, the respect of his peers, a high A-type driven personality, a man of moral integrity. But that wasn't all of Paul's background. Most of you know the Apostle Paul fairly well. You also know that some of his past was frankly scandalous. He doesn't talk about it much in Philippians. He hints at it. In other places he gets more specific as he talks about his blind ego, his spiritual arrogance, his his willingness to be an accomplice to murder, how he harassed and tortured those that disagreed with him. Aren't we all, aren't we all like Paul? We all have a past. And if we turned around and looked at it, we'd have to admit it's a mixed bag, isn't it? Of the good and the ugly. Of the thrilling and the painful. Of, the, of a cause for appropriate pride, but also some shame. And so what's Paul's determined choice about his past? Well, look at verse 13. He makes the choice daily to forget it. What does that mean? Well, it's interesting. The word that Paul uses here literally means to neglect. So think about things that you neglect. Uh, Suppose you went to Lowe's or Home Depot and bought a potted plant, but you neglected it. Well... You weren't thinking about it. You, uh, therefore, it doesn't get any water. It doesn't ever get any fertilizer. To neglect your car means it never gets serviced. It, it never gets cleaned. Um, to neglect your spouse means that, that you don't give them the attention that they deserve. So to neglect or to forget the past means we don't think about it. We don't give it any of our focused attention. Now, did that event in our past occur? Sure, it occurred. Can we remember it? Well, of course we can remember it. But it no longer has any influence over my life. When I forget, I'm making the choice to refuse to dwell on it in a way that will allow it to impact my decisions, my behavior, my priorities, my values, my behavior. I forget it. I neglect it. And again, Paul's use of these verbs here indicates his choice to forget the past is a daily decision. So every single day when the sun was coming up and the Apostle Paul saw the sun coming up, he mentally chose to keep his past behind him. And again, Paul could have been really proud about his past advantages or he could have been really shamed by his past behavior. But he refuses to let either of those define his life. Now, in a minute, we'll come back to this. But let's move on for the second choice that I want to point to here. In other words, there's another intentional uh, choice that Paul models for us, and that is my choice with the future. 
This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So Paul speaks of the future as to what lies ahead and what choice is he making every day here. He's reaching for it. I I use the English Standard Version and it translates that as straining forward. And the imagery that Paul is using is that of track and field events, of, of the foot race, where runners are physically straining, exerting every ounce of energy that they have inside them to cross the finish line. So every day, Paul says, I'm, I'm reaching out eagerly for what the Lord is going to bring my way. He isn't resisting the future nor is he passively just accepting it out of resignation of, I don't have any choice. No, no. Paul models here for us an eager expectation of what the Lord is bringing to him. That's his attitude towards the future. Now watch what happens when we get to verse 14. When we make the daily choice to forget our past, and we're also reaching out towards the future, That sets us up to live in the present. So here's the third intentional choice. My choice with the present. Verse 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Don't miss what Paul is saying here. When I'm fully living in the moment, in the present, I'm able to pursue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, that? that's where our launch motif comes from. This upward call. God is calling us to this upward trajectory of what He has in mind for each one of us. So every day, my focus is to pursue what God has in mind for me. It's not to pursue my agenda. It's not to pursue my priorities. It's not even to pursue the American dream. And by the way, don't, don't miss the sequential order of these three choices. I'll only be able to effectively pursue what God has in mind for me each day if I'm consistently forgetting what the past and reaching out to the future. Or let me state it this way. Letting go of what was precedes embracing what will be so that I can live with what is. By the way, does that sound familiar, vaguely familiar to anybody? It should, because these truths are not new. I have purposefully bookended. Is that even a verb? Well, if it's not, I'm making one one up here. I have bookended these 18 months of the interim. If you'll remember 18 months ago, we spent on my very second Sunday here with you time in Isaiah chapter 43, and verse 18 that Sunday said, Remember not the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, God says, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? So Paul has just given us these three daily choices that will define our lives as we cooperate with the Lord in the changes that He is creating inside each of us. And folks, once we understand the critical nature of these choices, we can appreciate how they then become the defining choices for us as a church. See, the choices that each one of us make 
when as a church, corporately, we face change. That all contributes to the tone and the culture of what's going on among us all. Again, remember, every single one of us here, every one of us is on the launch team. So as part of wanting to launch us well with Jason, what I'd like to do is just focus on the very first defining choice. Just one this morning. And that is forgetting what lies behind. On a daily basis, we are to forget or to neglect the past. How do you do that? Well, I'd like to suggest that in this unique transition that we are about to experience together, that there are four ways that we can choose to launch well with our new senior pastor. Four ways. First, I'd like to suggest that there needs to be a letting go of expectations. What are expectations? Those strong beliefs that someone will do or should do something. Expectations, that's a, that's a focus on how, no, excuse me, on what Jason does. And I know there are some of you here that just can't wait for Jason to show up and arrive so you can get an appointment with him and outline your agenda for his life. I know it. You can't wait to sit down with him. And, and, and explain to him how, how RBC will be great if he will just focus on your favorite ministry or start a new ministry. You want to sit him down and, and help him understand that he needs to give attention to what you believe has been neglected and for heaven's sakes, quit wasting the church's resources on that other ministry. And your expectations are designed to control his weekly calendar. Now we may never say it out loud, but we want him to return RBC to some former glory day that you fondly remember. <laughs> Folks, let it go. Let Jason lead us to pursue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Don't look back. Instead, look forward, believing that RBC's best days lie yet ahead. Interesting, this week I ran into a quote by C.S. Lewis that echoes Paul here when he said, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. Remember, folks, we can learn from the past, but we can never return to the past. We need to let go of our expectations. Okay, that's too convicting. Let's move on. Second area to release is a letting go of comparisons. If our expectations are a focus on what Jason will do, the what he will do, then comparisons is really a focus on what others do and then judging Jason by that. I mean, how easy it's going to be to compare him to other pastors. And again, we may never say it out loud, but we may in our back of our minds think, well, he's certainly not Matt. Well, he's certainly not Rick. Or he's certainly not like that pastor wherever you came from that you enjoyed so much. Folks, let me just tell you right now, if I hear that you ever say to him, well, Rick did it this way or Matt did it that way, I'm going to fly back here and throw rocks at your house. (laughs) I will. It's not fair. 
Let it go. Don't evaluate his preaching based on your favorite preacher who's got a national media presence. Allow Jason's study in God's Word each week to touch your heart as he reveals God's heart for you. And third, don't compare personalities. Heaven's sakes, let Jason be himself. Don't evaluate him because you remember in the past some other pastor you had that was more humorous or more engaging or more serious or more whatever. If we believe God has led Jason here, then his unique personality and gift mix is exactly what RBC needs at this time. Let him be himself. See, expectations and and comparisons can really hinder launching well because what do they do? They focus on the what Jason will do or what others are doing. The next two switch a little bit. They switch from a focus on the what to a focus on the how. So third, there needs to be a letting go of preferences. Preferences are how things get Done. See, we're not talking about with preferences what is morally right and wrong. We're talking about my personal opinion about how something gets done. And typically our, our, our preferences very quickly rise to the surface when we talk about how to do church. And boy, this is where we can so easily allow the past to influence us. For those who have been around RBC for a long time, you maybe remember a former time at RBC and and you begin to think, you know, if we can just start doing it that way again, everything will be fine. Or we can let what other churches are doing influence us. We can slip into what I call the franchise mentality of thinking that a style of ministry that's successful in Atlanta or Charlotte or up in L.A. is tremendously successful. So if we start doing that here, it's going to be wonderful. Now, it's not wrong to have preferences. We all have them, don't we? I've got them. You've got them. It's not wrong to have them as long as we're honest that they're not absolutes. And there's a lot of ways to do church. I'd like to recommend that you grab a 3 by 5 card and use a magnet on your refrigerator and keep James 1.19 in mind for the next couple of months. Let us all be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Have I stepped on your toes yet? Okay, let go of what? Expectations. Say it out loud. Let go of expectations. Let go of, secondly, what? Comparisons. Okay, if you don't remember it, I'm going to back up and just start all over again here. Okay. So expectations, comparisons, and this last one, let go of preferences. Okay, good. One more. Is it time this morning for the letting go of offenses? Again, if preferences are a focus on how ministry is done, then offenses is how I've been hurt or how I've hurt others. As one of my last pastoral acts, I need to speak candidly yet tenderly to you all this morning. I know that the events of the last two years have been deeply wounding for many. 
Grief has been a constant companion. And for many of you, you still feel stuck. Still feel like it's very hard to move forward. Could it be that maybe the, the pain has come from what someone else has done? In other words, their choices have splashed on you, disappointed you, offended you, hurt you. Is it time this morning to let that go? And the path forward is to forgive. Or could it be that the pain and the grief come from not what someone else has done, but it's what you've done. The wound is a result of your choices, your behavior. It's what you said, and you know you can't go back, you can't take it back, you can't change the consequences. But this morning, the start of your healing is to experience and receive divine forgiveness. Is that where you are? Unless I miss my guess, some of you, though, have been wounded because of what God has allowed around here. Frankly, some of you are still angry with him. And this morning, are you willing to admit it? That's why I love the Psalms. David just so brings me back to reality when out of his heart he expresses his anger and frustration with God. He wrote Psalm 60 as a song to regularly sing. And what does verse 3 in Psalm 60 tell us? He sang, Oh God, you have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. He didn't hold back. By the way, I've said it before, but you know that God can handle your honest anger and frustration? He can handle it. But are you ready to let it go this morning? And humbly accept, humbly accept that even if you don't understand, even if you think this was the stupidest idea that heaven ever came up with, even if you don't like how it has hurt you, He is still God. And you are not. Is this morning a time to let go of offenses? See, making those choices like Paul did each and every day to forget the past in four areas like that, folks, that's painful stuff. That's not easy stuff. I live with that. You live with it. Because that very painful environment is right where God wants to mature us and grow us and build us. By the way, did you know that uh, comedian Jeff Goldblatt started a Get Over It Day? It was uh, featured on Good Morning America. And it happens every year, March 9th. And his idea behind Get Over It Day was simply this, that every single one of us has got something going on, either a stressful school or work situation or fears and insecurities or embarrassing moments or bad relationships or on and on and on. And so he wants a get over it day to motivate people just to move on no matter how deep the scars. Okay, great worldly thinking. Because you you all know, as I know, that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit deep within us, the ghosts and demons of the past will thwart our ability to face and handle any change. This won't happen. I figure if Goldblatt can proclaim a, a day, so am I. 
So I'm going to proclaim to today, Sunday, June 24th, 2018, is Let It Go Day. Okay? That as part of preparing to launch well with Jason, today is the day to let go of expectations, our comparisons, our preferences, our offenses, and that together as a body of believers, because we're all on the launch team, that we are going to press on toward the goal for the upward prize of God in Christ Jesus together. So here's what I'm going to do today. Here's how we're going to close. Look around, around you. That is not the church. That is the shell that houses the church on occasion. But look this way. We are the church. We are part of Christ's body. We are family. So we're going to launch well together. Here's what I want you to do. In just a second, I'll give you the directions, and then I'm going to ask you to do it. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I don't want anybody to be alone in this. I'm going to ask us all to stand and have us all link arms before I pray. You don't have to do that yet, but I'm going to want us to link arms together because we are a family, we are a body, and we're going to go forward together. Okay? Okay, stand up please. Go across the rows if you need to also, but I want us all linking arms with someone next to us. Okay, y'all linked up? Okay. Has the Lord spoken to you this morning? Maybe about one maybe two, maybe three, maybe four of those areas where you need to let go. It's not that you drop it. You're giving it back to him. Let's do that right now in prayer. Let me have the privilege of leading us in prayer. Father, thank you that changes that sometimes intimidate and overwhelm us are nothing to you. Even as we know from our heroes of the faith, you gave them divine perspective when, like Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to achieve this present result. And so, Father, this morning as a family, we want to stand before you here this morning and like Paul had to do daily, and we may have to do it daily too in the coming weeks and months, We want to forget what is behind. We want to let it go. We want to neglect it in some very practical areas. The practical areas of expectations. The practical areas of comparisons. The practical area of preferences. The practical area of offenses. Father, we can't do that. Apart from your Holy Spirit moving inside of us, we realize our inability to do that kind of letting go, but we trust you for this. And we want to reach forward to what you're going to be bringing us again as a family. And so, Father, really it comes down to trust. We're going to trust you that you are worthy of our faith. You're responsible. You've initiated it. 
So, Father, we're going with you. Lead us by the hand every step of the way, I pray. And we pray it in the gracious and merciful name of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.